Feeling tired at the gaming table? Want to hear foul-mouthed jackasses poke fun at gaming companies when they screw up? Want an honest, street-level opinion from a team of gamers that call it like it is? Then Blunt Force Gamers may be the podcast for you. Listener discretion advised. Hello, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, and gamers of all ages. I have just tremendously fucked up in more ways than one by not remembering to plug in on the soundboard with the headphones because I don't know where the jack went. Therefore, I do apologize beforehand for any weird sounds that may occur during today's podcast. That being said, I am sitting in a room missing one person because he actually has a job during these dour, horrible times, but the other two are here to keep me company while I have many old man moments. My uh, co-host since season one... Darth Blasphemous, hail to the dark side. And Kazakhan, Lord Dragon. I just confused them both by pointing at both of them at the exact same time. Normally, behind the scenes, I point at one at a time so they know, but I decided to shake things up and give them a taste of what it feels like to be in my head. Like, everybody's pointing at me at the same time kind of crap, and I don't know what to say, man. <laughs> um, shit. So we're doing, uh, let's see, our topic is modules, or actually bad gaming moments as they relate to modules and i've got a few stories on this do you guys got a few stories yeah i'd say so yeah awesome sauce so let's roll into that um kazrakan blasphemous and myself um we will regale down bad memory lane yeah we're gonna trick down bad memory lane you know what um because i am an old man and i like to have a moral of the story i'm very 80s in that regard like a cartoon (laughs) i will of course interject inside my stories a few gm tips so hopefully GMs, you know, who come into situations similar to mine, don't do the same thing. I'll hopefully. try and do the same with some player tips because that's the majority of my time with modules because my personal philosophy is modules are not worth it. Just go with a homebrew or learn enough about the core world that you just run some shit. Get some maps, get some other shit that they put out that's official for whatever world you're running in. And just do it from there. If you're doing homebrew, which I fully endorse and hope you do, just come up with some shit and keep it straight, man. Doodle on some fucking whiteboard or something. Just try and keep all your shit straight, square, and um, modules suck, in my opinion. Just overall. I can't tell. I feel like modules, if they're portrayed right by a talented GM who specializes in them, are phenomenal. If you don't have all of those things most of the time a module is anywhere from an engaging story to a crapshoot to a horribly disorganized cesspit of tentacles actually the uh, uh, as an aside and <laughs> it is a module but it's not a module at the same time um, kind of sort of weird Anyway, uh, before I get into like my modular stories, I will just say that, as an aside, the hook, line, and sinker adventure hooks, uh, as presented in Palladium Games books, uh, mostly rifts, are phenomenal. Uh, they're, they're basically like a module boiled down to three paragraphs. You have your hook. People walk into town, 
There's rumors of something going on in the hills. Okay, so you got your adventure hook. You throw the liner out, and the line is, of course, the actual meat of the uh, adventure itself. So the line is when the, the GM reels them in, basically. Like, they find out that there's more of these attacks going on. Maybe the attacks are happening by exiles from the town itself who are just pissed that they got exiled right before winter hit. And so since they're out there starving and they're angry and they want to get back into town and back into their warm homes that they've been exiled from or whatever, they have nowhere to go. So the only outlet they have is to attack their former township. And then the sinker is... No, that was all wrong. <laughs> there are actually bad people who were pretending to be people that got exiled, but in fact the bad people just cannibalized them and now they're trying to get... Now that they realize that the town is filled with juicy, yummy, meaty goodness, they want more. You know, or something like that. Or even the sinker could be just something simple. I think that happened in Scotland once. <laughs> no, it didn't. That is actually based off of uh, one of those weird stories. Urban legend. Uh, but what I'm saying is, or even the sinker could be something easy. Like, you know, they go out there and they do find out that uh, once they get out there to take care of the big bad evil guy, most of them are frozen. They don't put up a good fight and they get trounced really easily. And the sinker is they were only exiled for some stupid ass reason. Like, they didn't participate in the end-of-the-year fair. And it turns out the township are the bad people in, from the beginning, and the exiles are the good people. Whatever the case may be, it's very simple. You have a hook, you got a line, and you got a sinker. It's basically three or four paragraphs that give you enough of the story that you have an outline of what your plot is, and you just build everything around that. Because in a module... Oh, one of the most horrible things about modules, and I'll definitely get this later, <laughs> is players are want to do the most unexpected shit every time. I try to work with GMs on this one personally. Uh, we had a really great module being run for Pathfinder. I made my character worshiping the goddess of death. My character was totally evil and shit. He said, "Hey, it's cool. You can play an evil character." I'm like, "Cool." I'm not going to stab the rest of the party in the books. I'm just on this adventure because I want to be like more awesome than everybody else kind of shit. The big bad guy. So I was worshipping Urgothoa. And the bad guy was the death god. Not Zonkuthon, the other one. I can't remember his name off bat. But it worked out for me because the death god, uh, the cult that we were fighting against, is actually... Diametrically opposed. They're not diametrically opposed, per se, but their death cult and our death cult don't like each other. <laughs> so we actually gave my character in-game reason to actually go after the cult now, because I'm like, well, wait, we're fighting death cultists? Aren't these, like, my people? So I looked up in the lore, and I found out that their death cult and my death cult did not like each other. To the point of stabby, stabby, die, die, die. And I'm like, this <laughs> is useful. perfect. Yeah, I was like, and I came up to the GM and uh, he was still, you know, wishy-washy about me uh, taking this particular goddess as my deity. The rest of the, he didn't really care about. It was just specifically this goddess. And I came up to him. I'm like, look, I found this in the lore. These death cultists that were fighting in character, I have no reason to like them. It says right here in the book, in the lore, I fucking despised him. I'm going to roll with this. Now I am on board to party with the heroes. <laughs> the heroes don't like them. I don't like them. We have a reason for good and evil to work together to get rid of other evil. It works. So I try to work with them, but players will always do stupid shit. And I've encountered this in modules over and over and over. 
and a hook, line, and sinker. Okay, so you guys are my my party, and I present to you my hook. You go into the, the village, and the village says that we got people in the hills attacking us. That's great. And then you decide, I'm going to go talk to the medic of all fucking people. I want to talk to the medic of the village and get some insight what they have to say about the wounds and shit of said villagers. Now, if we're doing a hook like an adventure thing, I have to tap into my talent as a GM for improv, make up a medic on the fly, make up their name on the fly, make up their disposition and demeanor on the fly, uh, what they look like. I got to make this on the fly. I got to make out what patients they have, the layout of their clinic, all this stuff on the fly. I have to just make it up. <laughs> okay, so pull it out of your ass. I got to pull all this shit out of my ass. But according to a hook, line, and sinker, I got to be ready for this because you guys can go anywhere do damn near anything but if this adventure is set in a module and they don't have a they you know the module has no details on a clinic or whatever but the town is big enough that they should have some place for a, a hospice or a care center you say the same thing and i'm just like um yeah you find it and there's a sign that says closed <laughs> ha, that, the medic is one of the people that's out there. Ha, the medic's one of the people out there. Whatever. Usually, though, uh, what I'm trying to illustrate is if the players try to go a direction that's not listed in the model, it's a hard stop. And if the module is just a hook line adventure sinker, you know, the players go off. The price you've got to pay is you've got to be able to think on your feet, but there's more room for wibbling and nibbling and dillying and dallying. And... When I get to my, my module tales, yes, there are some hard stops in there. And that's the biggest problem I find in a lot of modules is hard stops. Anyway, I'm bogarting the microphone. Uh, Blasphemous, get off your phone. I want to hear you. trying to look something up. Oh, you're, you want to look something Okay, fine. Kazarkan, Kazarkan, you take the next step because I've bogarted the microphone for our opening intro about the difference between modules, hook, line, and sinkers. I'm very passionate about this topic, if you cannot tell already. I really <laughs> love this topic. Oh, kind I'm sure of sort of. Table thumps aren't great. Uh, I'm. I might be thumping the table, but I'm landing softly, kind of, sorta. But you know what? <laughs> You've forgotten how sensitive these. You are. guys, for about 106 episodes, have at least knocked the table once every episode, where I have been mindful not to. So if I knock the table in one episode out of 106 episodes, <laughs> I think I've earned it. <laughs> I hope my listeners think I've earned it because those table thumps, if they hear them, are from me this time, not you guys. That's why I want to set up the, the new setup where they're hanging down and they're not touching a table we can knock. First, I need a job. Yeah, well, yeah. we'll, we'll cross that bridge in a little bit. All right. Well, All fair. Okay, fair enough. Uh, next story. Go. 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 Hmm. Go. Go. All hurry, right. Hurry. Come along. Kingmaker. I know Blasphemous and I have thoughts on this particular module. So does Gob, because Gob <sighs> ran it. Oh, we know. Why don't you there give me a nice paper cut and rub lemon juice in it while you're at it? <laughs> nah, I'm more that of a... That should tell you all you need a, to know. Some cayenne salt in there. Just, just, I'm going to give myself a ghost pepper enema. <laughs> oh, spicy on the way in, spicy on the way out. So, as you I'm might have guessed... I'm just going to coat a dildo and fucking tiger balm and deep-throating. <laughs> Kingmaker. So, that one, and I would say the, oh, what the hell was that social intrigue one that uh, Thoric was running? Oh, good lord, I can't, 
Oh shit! I think I know the one you're talking about. I, uh, fuck, Moniker should have that book. The one set in the Roman no, setting. Uh, kind it's, of. It's different. It's uh, um. It's uh. Hold on. I've got it here because. Oh my I god! He's you know while he's googling the name of this, just just continue with the story. War and of the Crown. That's the one. War of the the. Oh, that's the one I played. Actually, I did play in one I liked, and the and the, the the Steve. Steve was running the game. The short Steve. The one from Philly. Okay. Uh, that dude was fucking legit cool. Um, and it was weird to actually see somebody who stood of not just like, he was a full head shorter than me. That's impressive. And, dude, if he was any shorter, Wait, he was just... he also like twice as wide as you? That was after he got his job. Okay. When he first came over from Philly, the dude was like rail thin. I mean, you could pick him up and shake him and he'd snap in half like a fucking twig. Uh, but once he got his job, yeah, he started packing it on. Steve was an awesome guy, though, but speaking of crowns, he ran Carrion Crown. That was the adventure that I was playing my character in, who was a follower of... Not... Ergothoa. I was about to say Scaroser for some reason. But, yeah, Carrion Crown was actually a good adventure. That's the only good module adventure I've had. So, I've just totally train-wrecked your story. <laughs> I do not apologize. I'm on a sugar rush. <laughs> <laughs> Next note, we will not be giving Goblin sugar again. Goblin sugar! <laughs> <laughs> but I think, like, from the player side, watching Goblin try to run Kingmaker was an adventure in its own right. Um, it was it was an adventure because it was an interesting premise, and it had potential. It's just like even watching him try and find things that were mostly scripted was a pain-inducing thing to watch because of how how horrendously bad that one was organized. And everything that I've seen indicates that I'm not the only one to think this. And then there's also stuff like 1d4 trolls in the middle of the night. Okay, you know what? To be fair. To be fair. 1d4 trolls was totally legit. I know. <clears throat> okay, so... I know. Th this come, th The 1d4 trolls comes down to an argument we've been having for a long time since 2nd edition got phased out in the 3rd edition... In 2nd edition, it was more of a thinking man's game. Having more than zero hit points did not always mean you were good to go. Somehow, during the 3.0, 3.5, and 3.75 generations that came along, uh, so post-2000, having more than zero hit points meant you were good to go. And they put in challenge rating for the creatures, so almost every time... The players would run into something in a module or in a dungeon. It would have a challenge rating to it or an encounter level to make it more balanced, to be just challenging enough, hopefully, for the parties not to get Waffle Stomp. In old school Dungeons & Dragons, you did not have challenge rating. You had what makes sense. If you were in the forest, you know, it's like, let's list, you know, like the details. It's Rocky Forest. Okay, so you're in basically like the lowlands of where hills meet mountains. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of forest. Trolls are going to be coming there. 
guess what? That's going to be in your random roll list. Just like finding small cats like bobcats or lynx or a brown bear. Yep. It's what makes sense. Natural habitats. You're not going to run into a fucking jaguar. So if you make a... Well, yeah, you're not going to run into a jaguar for sure. Unless, you know, there's like a time portal and one just comes like squealing off of a freeway through the portal. Or it's an old summoner's trap. Yeah, or yeah. Anyway... That's that's where the argument begins. So yeah, you guys can be pissed about the one d four trolls and oh no, all I was want. I was that was legit. You you showed us the table. You showed us what you rolled. It was as legit as it could be. What we're salty about is the various What's Lee stuff. <laughs> I'm salty about Dingnuts the fucking hunter taking a full minute to put on his armor while the rest of us are just getting beat the shit out of. That's what pissed me off. No, 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 no. That's player side. That's not GM fault. I I don't think... And don't don't ever take those three words out of my podcast and just make a song out of it. I don't think. I don't think. Because it's true. I don't think. But I do not construe... (laughs) I change my words up here a little bit to be more... um, in line, I do not construe that to be the worst thing that Wingnut the Fantastic has ever done. <laughs> I would whip. say that shooting an arrow at something that is shimmering on the horizon. Yep, that's the uh, one. With an arrow to start yep. a. Uh, let's see, you guys were level two at the time. Yep. Yep. And the shining orb that happened to be on the edge of the bog. Uh, was just within arrow range and got its attention. And, and of course, Wingnut went, Hey, that looks like a mirror. I'm Wing- going to hit it. Yeah, I'm going to shoot at it with an arrow, and it by itself it could take on a group of level 6 adventurers. Congratulations, encounter with a will-o'-wisp that you could have totally avoided by just walking. <laughs> well, I, uh, yeah, that, that was incident not smart. completely un-fucking- excusable now the armor thing was the thing that that character had shit for everything without the armor on and that character was not built with the fucking uh was it toughness or whatever lets you sleep in your armor which is an oversight by the player i think the worst part about that fight was the fact that we didn't really work together it was all oh each of us attack a troll because i literally remember verbatim multiple people in the party saying we each attack a troll Yes, we each take on one. Um, <clears throat> there was a lot of problems. Actually, this with that. does bring me back to another point. Uh, like I was making about D&D 2nd Edition versus 3rd Edition, the, the play styles and encounters. Uh, modules were written way different back then as they are now. There, there has been a transition between writing styles and adventuring styles and whatnot in D&D back then. Encountering a simple skeleton as a group of level 1 characters in a 2nd edition D&D module was a potentially scary thing. Now it is, I pull out my sword and I hit it until the problem's gone away. It, it is not as scary. And one of the things that gets me though, and maybe, I don't know, maybe my nostalgia circuits were frying a little bit by some of the stuff that was in Kingmaker. And I just didn't realize it at the time. But there was a NPC actually scripted in the game that you guys were supposed to talk to that was on the enemy's side. Who the moment the enemies stopped having the advantage in combat would just up and quit. He was like, I'm not fighting for these guys. They're on the losing team. 
And he basically just uses the sword and get ready to walk away. And, and he just walk away. He just sheathed the sword. He wouldn't even care what was going on around him anymore unless he was attacked. He would just get up and leave the uh, encounter entirely. And you guys had the chance to talk to him as scripted in the module. And if you talked to him and offered him a better life, he would have sided with you. And he's actually one of the best NPCs to have on your side when you build your kingdom. One of the best. The moment he sheathed his sword, however, everybody just saw him as a target who wasn't didn't have his defenses up. Honestly, I don't even think he got that far. Wasn't this the one that got sniped yeah. by Wingnut? I, I thought yeah. this was the one that uh, no, encountered but... when we climbed upstairs. Yeah, uh, it was. We like we found there, him. There were three named characters we killed. Yeah, there was three named characters. He was one of them. And like you guys didn't even give him a chance to open his mouth. You just came in and fucking steamrolled him. <laughs> Rick rolled him. <laughs> you, know, you never gave him up, never let him down. But you did try to hurt him. <laughs> no, we didn't try. We succeeded. Yeah. And it was funny, though, because you guys never even gave him the benefit of the doubt. Not even a moment. Like, even with since motive rolls and everything, like, yeah, he's not going to attack you. Well, fuck it, I stab him. She's like, do the fuck? <laughs> um, murder hobo. Yeah, there, there's a lot of murder hoboism, especially in modern D&D. It did not exist as much in old school D&D. It did exist. Wait, it did. Wait, I've got a story. But when it came to modules, it kind of didn't in a, in a sort of way, in my experiences anyway. Go ahead. So, talking to one of my players, his significant other has been doing a, a Discord D&D game with some people, and it turns out they're Mormons. Now, I don't hold anything against Mormons, usually. Plus one underwear. Yeah, yeah. but they're they're doing a super non-combative uh, campaign, which is cool. Run whatever you like, play your style. Yeah, your group, play but, your style. From the sounds and every rendition of each encounter they go through, they don't seem to have a grasp on what skill checks equivocate out to doing what things. Like, knowledge history is being used in place of perceptions. So I'm not exactly sure how these guys are doing it, but apparently it's some fucking module that is non-combat. I mean, at that point, it's just use your... It's learn what your skills should be. Because that's... But, but I'm just saying, they're, they're running this out of some module... Right, and they're running it completely non-combat. I, I'm sure there's one out there somewhere, but uh, a big part of everything that is going on is just like listening to some of these people. Like, I've gone through my fair share of modules in my short time of gaming, and they all seem to be heavy on like combat. And then, <laughs> sorry, so people, boring. I have a work schedule I got to keep, but. There's the combat-heavy ones, and then whatever the special thing about their whole module is. Like, uh, was that Curse of Strahd or whatever? That's a very popular one. They, they just did a re-release <clears throat> of it for 5e. Yeah. yeah. It's already been released for 5e. Yeah. Quite a bit ago, yeah. I remember making characters for that. That was an interesting one, and, you know... I remember when Strahd used to be scary. That's yeah. the problem, is, like... A lot of it is, I've seen these uh, images of a comic book character who's, you know, due to my inadequacy and in 
a complete ignorance of comic book lore. It's, it's a white cape dude who's just Phantom. I know you're in here, you big fucking nerd. Where's my fucking money? Just barreling down the stairs, and that that's sort of become the meme of Strahd. Yeah, there used to be a time, and of course, you know, me being all fucking ancient and shit, uh, if the game session started with our characters, you know, like, roll up your standard fantasy characters, and you lay down your character sheet on the table, you got your nachos ready, you pull your drink out, you set your dice down, you're like, alright, I'm, I'm ready to go I want nachos slay now. me some dragons and shit, and the GM says, you wake up in a foreign land, the soil feels slightly cold, and has a muckish odor to it in the air and around you is a, a permeating fog which seems to drag down hope into despair you're like fuck no 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 i am not going to ravenloft you grab your character sheet you pick it up and you just rage quit then right then like no uh-uh no 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 i'm not going to barovia fuck you my character stand back in greyhawk uh-uh <laughs> <laughs> that that was the response you would get. Somebody would say, oh, I'm running a Ravenloft game. And you would have like five people immediately just know. That's because it was so scary it scared the players. And that was the one. And honestly, as a guy who does horror campaigns a lot, that is the response you should have when the GM says, I'm going to run a game session. And a lot of people are like, yes. And you say Ravenloft and they're like, fuck no. <laughs> Full 180. I don't want to make 10 new characters because they all die from, you know, starvation or, you know, self-imposed wounds of despair. It was it was that scary. It was tough. But you'd also have players who were like, Ravenloft? Oh, hell yeah, dude, that is challenging. Set me up. These are the same guys who, like, you know, years later would find a console game and just rank it up to hardcore. Like, oh yeah, first time playing Doom, let's just rank it up to yeah, Demons the, of Hell. These guys, yeah, the people who play Ravenloft are basically Doom players who just crank it to 11. Yeah. So it, they're the ones who hate how most modern games you have to unlock the higher hardness levels. Yeah, because they got to play it through easy mode first. They're like, fuck no, dude, I want the full challenge first. Yeah, uh, I mean, that, that's definitely a thing. And that, that leads me to my other point, if you don't mind me interjecting here. Yeah, go, go ahead. for it. So... Uh, Part of the thing with modules is, especially when you get into a horror module, because I've been looking at them. I've been looking at them hard. Oh, trying so to, hard. Trying to gain some inspiration for my own horror adventures. Hard, is, like a refrigerated cucumber. Is <laughs> just trying to, to find the, the correct way to describe and read off and to sequence everything. And man, it is just so hard. Like, anyway, you go through and you do this big setup for a horror adventure. It takes one side joke, and the entire session just goes to shit. Well, that, that, that's, that's part of the balancing of horror, serious though. Serious campaign is with a serious campaign or a horror campaign, you do need moments of levity and tension breakage. Uh, doing a straight horror campaign, especially if you're doing one that's like four to six hours, maybe even an all-day eight-hour session. It, it, it does. It gets very tiring for both the GM and players to maintain that level of just anticipation for hours on end. Sometimes you just need to... to ha ha! You, you need sometimes the it's the squirrel that snaps a twig yeah, and everybody's some, like, okay, now we all feel stupid. It yeah. was a fucking squirrel. If it's ha a, ha! If it's a well-timed joke, all the better, but sometimes it, it's just going to happen on its own. Um, now... As far as modules go, and of course I'm going back to referring to 2nd edition D&D, 
Athos was right behind Ravenloft when it came to levels of hard. And these are the first modules that I started playing, so I'm going to start there real quick. Number one, if you are a Thrycreen, best class for multi-attacks, or best race for multi-attacks. If you're a Thrycreen monk, you are fucking set. <laughs> yes! Um, but if you're playing a Thrycreen... And you're playing in a module, and you beat up a bunch of bad guys, and you rescue a young elven maiden. Don't eat her. Unfortunately, the problem to for Thrycreen, the bug people, is elves are a delicacy. And here I have a delicacy sitting on the ground, knocked out, and all I need to do is just turn the head sideways 90 degrees, and I have a meal ready to eat. It's a delicacy, all for me. And no and one else is going to challenge me because none of them are going to want it. The only, the, only, the only party member that said anything about it was the mule. He's just like, that's gross. And I'm like, you do you, dude. I'll do me. And he's like, fair. So I wasn't going to harp on his culture. He wasn't going to harp on mine. We had an agreement. So I ate the young elven maiden because she's a delicacy. Man, this is like finding caviar on a deserted island. You know, I'm hungry, and this is a shitload of protein, and it's fancy and expensive. I'm going to eat it. And the rest of the module crumbled after that, because it turns out that she was the MacGuffin. <laughs> that we were what? supposed to take to an elven encampment and trade in to a prince, because she was the prince's uh, sister. And then we would get the big reveal for the adventure from that point on. Whoops. I ate the MacGuffin. <laughs> And thus, I had killed an entire, like, 48-page module and just nom, 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 nom. <laughs> so, taking the bicycle all the way back to the beginning, this was a hard stop. <laughs> and the problem was, is there's no setup in the module whatsoever to stop this. You know, this is Athos. There are bug people who eat elves, but nowhere in the writing of the module did the uh, original author go, if there are Thrycreen in the party, take these steps if they get hungry. <laughs> there was none of that. So since there was no roadblocks, I ate the MacGuffin. <laughs> she was tasty and went great with just a little bit of paprika and garlic. I mean, that, that's definitely the big thing of modules is their limitation. And yeah, I've discussed it with uh, Narciss and a couple other GM people I know about modules and how the best way to do it, especially if you have a regular schedule, is just to constantly be reading and rereading and having like a fucking notebook full of notes about all the little shit. That way you don't have to go spooling through the modules. You spool through your own notes and books and... That's where you've got all your shit, you know, collated in a way that makes sense to you. Because it, it's pretty much like fucking memorizing the test booklet for fucking your SATs. Which is hard fucking core, but if you want to do a module and at least have all the shit down to pat to where you're practically pulling it out of your fucking head uh, instantly like a fucking math problem, that's the shit you gotta do sometimes. At least from my experience. That's why I still prefer, as I've said, rolling homebrew, because I make shit up on the fly. Um, I think, though, and, and uh, from the player side also, and this is more of a lesson to other players, 
and you know, going on what you just said here, you know, to to read and reread and familiarize yourself with the material. And not so much as a lesson into that, but still kind of related to it as another uh, Athos campaign. Because after shortly after eating the elf and whatnot, actually, there was another game I got into a, a few months later. I decided to try my hand at being a paladin. <laughs> paladin! Well, I've heard a lot about lawful stupid, so I was trying not to be a lawful stupid paladin, but more of a compassionate, generous kind of soul. The guy who would actually inspire hope in a desolate, horrible, sun-baked world. You know, because... You know, a paladin. <laughs> right. As it's intended. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, there was a law in the town where you could not buy metal weapons or armor or shields between the sounding of the first bell at noon and the sounding of the second bell at 6 p.m. Weird law. Okay, six hours out of 24, I can't buy metal weapons, but once I hear the second bell chime, I can do it all I fucking want? Crazy-ass law. That's like going, okay, you cannot buy alcohol until you're 21, and except for the months of February, March, and April... You can buy all the alcohol you want. Stock up then. Just, what? What? It, it doesn't, what? It, and so it's a lot. Of, it makes absolutely no sense. But I wasn't listening. So this vendor comes up, a street peddler. He's like, hey, I can sell you this long sword. And I'm like, I have enough bone chips for that. You know what? I will buy that sword because it will help me with my adventures. And if I do more damage and have a better weapon, I can better help my party. Awesome sauce. Path to hell, but paved right. with good intentions. But I wasn't listening to the stupid intro with the laws and all that crap. Pfft, who needs that? <laughs> Whoops. Uh, so I bought the sword, and of course, the guards come up, they start to arrest me, and being lawful stupid, because I was, I admit it, I immediately... We all have to start somewhere. I immediately jammed the sword into the ground in front of me and held out both hands and told them to go ahead and manacle me and... I was prepared for trial to face their uh, justice. You know, I have to set an example. Being the good guy. I done fucked up. I done I'm fucked out. up. I better own up. And this turned into me and the GM going back and forth for like 15 minutes. He's like, you committed a crime. And I'm like, I know. I'm ready to fess up for that. And he's like, well, they'll most likely execute you. And I'm like, I broke their laws. And I'm a paladin. If I die, I go to heaven. Where's the punishment in that? Hello, I get to go sit beside the god I serve? Woo, scary! I already know they exist because I'm imbued with their divine might to smite evil when I feel like it. And so the GM made us run away, but point is, uh, like you were just saying, you know, the GM has to go through the module over and over and over and familiarize himself with it. The GM also needs to familiarize himself with the group he's running with and make sure they're listening at all times because the player should also be listening to shit said in the module. And they should also make sure that none of the players go find the module, read it, and to, and to figure out the best way to game the bullshit part of the game system. Plus five bow of whale slang. Priceless. <laughs> it's an old meme, but it works. <laughs> uh, no, no, it just... There are some modules, and I've seen it too, like, there are NPCs who hate repeating themselves in certain modules. And so, like, the characters will encounter the NPC, the last questions, they'll be like, oh, well, where did the army go? 
and you have player Z who's not paying attention because they're sawing Zs, and somebody nudges them and they're like, well, where did the army go? I just said this. I'm not telling yeah, you The again. NPC just told you that, so now he's not going to answer any more questions. Because obviously you're not listening. There's NPCs listed in modules like this. Mm -hmm. You can't ask them the same question over and over, so... As a player, some modules, uh, especially as a player, you should be more attentive to what the fuck's going on because maybe the GM's not going to be as forgiving. I mean, they're like, that was three pages ago, dude. Yeah. If a, if a GM has to constantly flip back and forward through the book, it's more stressing than making shit up off the fly because you're like, okay, I was on page 97 when that happened or maybe I was on 95. Somebody's asking a question now that it's way too late. And the more a GM has to do work at the table of flipping backwards and forwards through a book, referencing materials, the more time you don't have yeah, to, the to actually do... You get done. The, the less game you get done to do other shit. It's very stressful for a GM. And in some cases for the other players, because they want to get shit moving. The GM wants to get shit moving. And you're standing around with a fucking double D battery up your butt going, uh, but... I want to go ask the blacksmith questions again, even though the blacksmith got pissed at you last time. Mm -hmm. There's a lot, and that's another thing too, is a lot of limited information in modules. Again, another hard stop. You know, somebody may ask a question. You're studying an ancient artifact device meant for scrying, and somebody decides, well, I'm going to try to scry on the king. And you're like, well, you can scry on the king. It's in the module. And you're like, I'm going to scry on some lowland peasant sheep fucker. It's not in the module. What do you see? A field. Hard stop. <sighs> right. And, like, another thing that's interesting is, like, some modules require a lot more paperwork on the GM side. Mm. Let's take War for the Crown. Right? That arc, that adventure path, that motherfucker requires an Excel sheet. For the GM side, a second one for the player side for what they actually know or have deciphered, as well as a third, you know, pencil note about what the hell you're doing with your town finances. So that's Jeez. two Excel spreadsheets and a notepad for one adventure path collection, right? Yeah, that sounds like a lot of extra work. Right? Especially because, you know, we're, we were in the second uh, adventure out of that. We got to the point, you know, where we're starting to get carryover from the previous. Like, hey, we made a good impression on dude, on this dude. Well, stroked his bunny. Schmoozed him. Schmoozed his bunny. Because, you know, let's be honest here, it's a political intrigue campaign. It's political intrigue, but nothing's better than bunny fluff. I am so hopped up on sugar right now. <laughs> Again, Gob, you're not allowed to have any more. Man, I'd trade you for some of that energy. No, but continuing with this... Dude, I'm right? actually like starting to get warm, too. I blame we, you. <laughs> we got, you know... We, we were starting... Because we finally moved into the area where this motherfucker lives that we had schmoozed previously. He's already still buddy-buddy with us, and there's still carryover from the previous module that it's like, oh, yeah, you met this guy at the Senate. Oh, what about him? Yeah. Because it's like, that was three months real time ago. 
Yeah, that's. I'm that. not going to remember yeah. that as a player unless I write it down. Unless you write it, down. yeah. There's, unless you build yourself a fucking Excel there's sheet. A lot of information and modules, and a lot of them also include like really screwy and crazy mechanics. Social combat drop period. Well, yeah. social combat drop period. Uh, Kingmaker had like this weird fucking build your own kingdom system in, built into it. When you had to like slot people into certain areas that make all these weird rolls like once every two weeks in game time and then like X amount of time when the characters were off adventuring and it's like you're supposed to be ruling this place you are the leader and then you leave for three weeks at a time uh, yeah that's really putting your face forward towards the townsfolk that you're out there helping hammer nails in the wood and shit or Make sure the moat gets built. So ridiculous. All your followers know is you taught a lot for three weeks out of four every month. Mm. Just like, I am the leader of this communication. I am the future king. Now I'm going to go away for a majority of the month to do stuff that you can't know about. I'll be back in three weeks to tell you for a week what you should do next. Then I'm going to leave. Again. Because I'm your leader. Mm. <laughs> like, wow, that makes so much sense. It, mm. It's like on Star Trek, man. You know, it, it was always the captain heading down with the away team, which was all the main fun characters, which were all the heads of the fucking different departments. So you're going to bundle all of your leadership into one away team that mm -hmm. is quite probably going to be who knows what. Well, who to, knows what's going on down there? To be fair to Star Trek, I, okay, just just to be fair to Star Trek, I know it's Star Trek isn't a module. Maybe there's a module for Star Trek out there. There is, but I'm sure there are. A majority of the time between episodes, a.k.a. game sessions, if it's a Star Trek RPG, a majority of the time between episodes, they're just on the bridge doing shit. When we see an episode or like a two-episode arc, this is like when something major is happening to the vessel that is outside the norm. Way outside of normal. So, uh, like, the episode will open up like they're headed towards, you know, Epsilon G15, Kappa Delta Phi, F Bunny Fluff, <laughs> you know, whatever the fuck, Nebula. Mm -hmm. And they've just been dispatched out there. As a viewer, we can guess, or guesstimate roughly, that between the last episode to the start of this one, where they've just been sent out to Bunny Fluff 05... At least three or four weeks have passed where nothing has happened except Picard, except for Picard drinking tea and Riker watching the bridge at night. Nothing else has really gone on. So we can assume that. However, in Kingmaker and some other modules, they assume that when you take a leadership position, except for the leadership feat, to its credit, the leadership feat, you need to be present amongst your crew or at least they need to know what's going on with you with relative frequency. You know, you need to be out there. You know, you're only going to attract followers under your banner. By doing shit. By doing shit that they can see. And usually, you know, like some of the followers, you know, if you're um, doing a regional campaign, your followers might establish a township. You know, that you can come in and sleep for free. You may not be the leader, but you are that town's hero. Idol. You know, you're their idol. The mayor or the governor will bow to your whim because that town would not exist if it were not for you. But you don't exactly lead it 100%. They take care of that shit behind your back when you're away. That's great. Uh, the Kingmaker, though, expects you're going to be a leader. 
while you're not there. Town catches fire? Well, where's the leader? Don't know. Where's the guard captain? Out with the leader. What about the primary financier? Out with the leader. Who do we have out of government? Who do we have out of government? Well, they assigned somebody to be an assassin who's just a random NPC. Yay! <laughs> oh, the other thing about Kingmaker, too. Like, <laughs> I just... It, it hits me as a personal aside because this is not the way normal people fucking act. <laughs> in any regard. And for some reason, Dungeon Delvers... Attracts this uh, a bit of fucking personality craziness the most. Is the game starts off and you guys were started out at that um, little side of the road uh, junk shop, basically the medieval equivalent of a Seven Eleven, and you meet Oleg and you meet Svetlana. Mm-hmm. And immediately, like, two of you start, like, high-fiving. Like, you're going to go dogpile Svetlana and spit roaster. And I'm like, and it says here, Svetlana is Oleg's wife. And, like, one of you's like, okay, I'm out. And the other guy's like, as soon as he turns around, I'm nailing that shit. It's like, really? <laughs> really? Like, <laughs> the first thoughts, like, three of the party had were seducing her. And two of them, two of you didn't even care about seduction. And even after it got mentioned, she's already married and sleeps in the bed of the guy who owns the shop. And she's going to just be staying here the entire time. You guys are like, two of the other players shuffled off and one was like, I don't care. I'm still going to make a move when the chance arises. She's like, Jesus. How do you, like, that that's is... more on the player side than the, the module side, though. I mean, it's just a good example because what it does is like the 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 module sort of gives a window like that yeah it's, but the players for some reason every time you mention a female's name in a D&D game they're just like what's your what's, what's your charisma is her charisma over 9 yeah i'm talking about the charisma not her age i'm aware i'm aware and i'm just sitting here as a player like just like fucking you motherfucker are you fucking serious that's your first thought? We've had too many horny bards. That, the uh, trope that, is played. Well, the trope is so it. played out, dude. Like, it was old when I was young. <laughs> um, Back in the ancient times, then. Yeah, the horny bard has been a continuing joke since... Fuck, Deities and Demigods was first published. <laughs> right? Like, they came out with a class called Bard, and, like, almost immediately, every fucking D&D pervert suddenly just went to the church and barred them and said, I want to sign up for the horniness challenge. Give me a loop. <laughs> My job is to screw everything in the landscape that has two legs and a warm pulse, and sometimes, even if it's undead, I don't care. It need not necessarily be limited to two legs, dragon fuckers. Yeah, like, fuck I'm going to play her tits like a bongo while smoking the skin flute. You know, just, they don't care. They're horny bards. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, but the thing that gets me about uh, one of the other ones for modules, and I know I'm doing a shit ton of talking on this fucking podcast. I'll shut up in a moment. Uh, I'll just hard stop myself. I guess. Maybe. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> one of the problems I had is we were playing a module, and this was said Thrycreen yet again from earlier. Uh, he was basically a module-only character at this point, I guess. 
But we get into normal, everyday fantasy kind of play. <clears throat> One of our party members is an elf. Okay. <laughs> but he's a party member. He's so healthy. I will be respectful when he reaches zero hit points oh. by exhuming the corpse after the meat has tenderized a little bit. But anyway, um, <laughs> moving along. Oh, that particular elf, I actually liked him because he was an undead hunter. And undead, undead on my home world are a scary, terrible thing. So I like this guy. He's an okay elf. So he'll be tasty sometime down the road. So I, I had no idea now, to immediately you know, hit him with a USDA, uh, USDA approved stamp on the back and call it good. He's an undead hunter, and the adventure leads us through this like gateway where there's a skeleton. Just walking around in circles, pushing a lever. Basically, it's like a millstone. But it's a part of this fancy setup with like shitloads of pulleys and stuff to open the main gates into Mordor kind of crap. And it's just walking in circles. But we need the skeleton to you know, open the door for us, basically, by pulling on pins in a certain order. We figure it out. The door opens up. And the undead hunter says, I'm going to um, eradicate the skeleton now. Well, the door's open. No problem. We can see where we need to go right over there. Those mountains look quest-worthy, right? We can see them through the door. Half the party's walking through. I have no issue with this. I'm like, do what you got to do, dude. I'm going to head this way. You go ahead, bash it. We'll have lunch later. The GM proceeds to argue with him that it does not give XP. He's like, I don't care. It's undead. I am just going to walk up and smite it with my mace. Until it is smitten and smoked. Smite be gone. Nothing is written in the book about an encounter with the skeleton. It has no stats. It has no stats. Its primary function in the module is to walk in a circle with a millstone. That is it. Nothing more. Nothing less. It's a doorknob. It's an player and G and all the players at the party, myself included. So there's basically six of us plus GM. And all six of us are sitting there like, go ahead, dude, smite it. And the GM is like, well, it doesn't have anything for encounter here in the book, so you're just going to kill it, but it's not worth any XP. He's like, I don't care. And this it was 30 minutes of this shit. <laughs> all the players are like, has he smote it yet so we can continue on with Yawn Adventure? <laughs> and she's like, well, why would he want to smite it? And he's like, I'm an undead hunter. This is what I do. This is what he does. He's just let it. The door is not going to instantly close the moment it's dead. The door is already open. We've got it locked in place. We can continue now. <clears throat> this is a lesson with a module that did not need to extend to a 30 minute argument between one player being backed up by five other players and a GM going, Well, there's no encounter. They had a 30 minute fucking argument if I did not say that enough times already. <laughs> because that <laughs> Tell is. Tell us how you really feel. That is 29 minutes wasted. Right? It's that like is 29 minutes of adventure and fun that the players can have over arguing over a stupid fluff item that has no relevance whatsoever over the outcome, either immediately or overall, in the module. Right. Let the undead hunter kill the undead, continue on. And with a hard stop in a module, if it does not affect anything else in the module, if a player says, 
I walk out in the forest and get a stick, and it has no relevance to anything else in the module to let that player have a stick. Let, let them, them have, have a stick. stick. <laughs> yes. If, if it's not going to cause irreparable harm to the module, to the story, to the players down the road, who knows? Let them do it. Yeah, just let them do it. And this is one of the, the things like, that I find hard about modules is a lot of modules will have hard stops in it. And players are always want to do stuff that falls outside of the paragraph. If it has no problem to anything else in the module, if the player wants to buy a fucking leather pouch made of elk hide. Okay, there's probably whoop, a hunter that's doing that. Yeah, just like that way. Yeah, whoopity shit. Let them go shopping. Like, yeah. that's... that it. That's sort of a discussion on like aesthetics, right? You're you're doing something, and you're you're. Oh, hey, this looks cool. Does it have any stat bonuses? No. It still looks cool. I want it. Yeah. That's it. That's that's the discussion end. That yep. that stops right there. And you know, he didn't say it, but I'm willing to say it on his uh, behalf, as he was just playing his character. And right. I know when it, when an individual says that about their own character sheet, it's usually a cop out, but. I think it's more relevant in this case for me to say it on his behalf because he really was playing his character and it had no impact on the game overall. It was something that defined his character and to walk away from this situation would have been outside the boundaries of... Of, the, of his roleplay. Yeah, well, it have been outside the, the boundaries of the concept of his character. He's right. an undead hunter. There's an undead. And if he's just like, oh, well, it's not going to give me XP, I walk away. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's... It, it's XP like, is irrelevant. Yeah, it's, um... I mean, now that he, now that this little skeleton has served its purpose, it's opened the door for us with our help, it no longer needs to exist. Yeah, we saw the Because I, I, I hunt these things. Well, the, the funny part is, though, is the outcome overall would have been exactly the same if 29 minutes of argument was taken out of the, the whole situation and he just said, I killed it. I'm going to go over there and I'm going to beat it. She says it's not worth XP. And he's like, I'm an undead hunter. And she's like, fine, you kill it. Continuing on, 29 minutes have been saved. Now, the situation would have been exactly the same if he had just, like, sheathed his sword and said, okay, I continue on with the rest of the party. The outcome would have been exactly the same as if he walked away or killed it. Yeah. And so there's no point in arguing. <laughs> and if it's being true to character, because it's like... that. That's the better phrase, is being true to character. Yeah, he was being true to concept. And it's what my character would do as a cop-out, but being true to your character, that's proper being. That's properly being a thespian. Yeah, he, he was being properly true to the uh, character. And, uh, as far as I can tell, and this is you know one of those moments where a GM uh, needs to know when to let shit slide or when to improv, because there's hard stops, like I've mentioned before, in modules. This is a case where the GM should have said, okay, done. You killed it. Continuing on. 29 minutes have been saved. You go into the mountains to do adventuring. Uh, you know, a lot of modules don't seem to incorporate this, but it's also up to the GM themselves. And a module is a great way to start. Don't get me wrong on this. There are a lot They're of great simple, jumping boards. Uh, there are these uh, tiny little modules. They're hard to find now. A lot of them been printed by like Green Ronin Press, uh, Gopher Games, and uh, various others, uh, smaller companies, back when the OGL first came out. And they were these tiny like 10-page modules. 
super easy adventures for low levels, like level one through three. And these were like awesome springboards because it wasn't too much information for a GM in there. But at the same time, there was a lot of room where they said, well, if the players want to run off and do this thing instead, here's an opening. And at the end of it, there would be like a couple of paragraphs about future story ideas based on this module. They were basically springboards. Yeah, and that's that's a really clever thing. And, you know, a module is a great spot to start for a fledgling GM if you can sort of wrap your head around the world, right? If you can wrap your head around it, uh, uh, you know, running a module or two just to get your feet wet so you have an understanding of what the hell is going on being a GM, fine. Yeah, I just went straight for the fucking deep end. You did. I mean, you did. more power to you. It's not for everybody, but there are plenty of people out there who make a module sing. Well, you know, there, there's one thing, though, that I need to say on behalf of both of you and any GMs out there who may be listening, is even if you're afraid of a module, even if you have a bad experience in mod- a module, either as a player or a GM, uh, as I want to say, it's only a mistake if you don't learn anything from it. And if you run a module and it goes completely ball sideways and you just wish to God that somebody would put feral wolverines in your eye sockets and shake your skulls until candy comes out, that's great. Uh, Take it as a learning experience. That module was that terrible, but not... Why was it that terrible? Well, actually, yeah, why was it that terrible? You know, what, what made the module unplayable? Why did your players not like it? Where were the stone walls at? Where were their loop, uh, loopholes in the combat systems? You know, anything like that. Analyze it and go, okay, what made this module bad? I, as a GM, should not replicate, so I'm going to improve. Right. Know, and uh, you module, can, this goes both ways. Yeah, it right? does. You, you analyze the bad. Yeah, I analyze and now, the bad. And now you've got the bad pile. Uh, now you can me. look at look at it over on the side and be like, okay, now there's all this good stuff that I liked. That's not me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this guy over here, Captain Deep End. <clears throat> hey, what can I say, man? I took my water wings off, tossed them at the side of the pool right next to my juice box, and was like, fuck it. <laughs> well, what do we have for time? Because I know I just have not shut up. Yeah, we're we're getting there. We got enough time for some final thoughts. All right, you know what? I'm just going to leave final thoughts to you guys because I have just not shut up, and I am on (laughs) an extreme sugar rush right now. Again, come on. No more sugar. That's all right. We'll let you play with your chainsaw outside here. It was that fucking lemonade, dude. I don't know what it is. It was, like, super sweet. (laughs) Natural lemonade. followed it up with an orange Fanta. No, no, the the Fanta, it's got, like, some sugar in it, but... Yeah, no, no, is that lemonade? It's one of those things where the ice cream isn't as sweet because the chocolate sauce you put on it is like sugar and a bit of chocolate. Something like that. Anyway, you guys, so take it, take it. I, I just want to go with my bit real quick. So I'm, I'm sure we're just repeating ourselves at this point. But I, I am firmly in the middle ground, I think, when it comes to take something but make it your own. You know, if you want to take a setting, a uh, fucking a list of names and places from any other genre or anything and use that as your jumping off point to make your own module-like contraption, do it. I am fully in favor of people creating their own worlds and doing homebrews, and I'm cool with people taking modules going, well, the first book was fine, but book two introduces all this cityscape learning bullshit and I don't want to do that so you know what we're going to go our own way and we're just going to start from module one and I'm going to make it up 
from that point onward. Um, really the best thing I can say, especially as a GM, is just keep going with whatever works for you and whatever your players respond to. And as a player, sometimes you got to slog through a bit of shitty module to get to the fun parts, but God, sometimes it's not worth the slog. It's, you know, module reviews, right? Module reviews are a thing it's worth looking at before you go, you know, hog wild and buy the books for it. It's worth investigating whether or not other people have had positive experiences more than negative experiences. Like, I'm going to use the Steam review system, which is basically just the more people shove their word at it, and it just sort of tabulates on an average. Even, even something that simple can tell you a lot about a module, and... You know, like Blasphemous has said, you kind of have to make it your own. You have to make it thrive, and that's where your your DMing skills are going to shine. Or flop. And that's something to be mindful of. You know, a module is a great jumping point, and sometimes they have pretty good stories, but the caveat is that there's more work involved on everyone's part to keep that a fun and workable thing. That means players taking notes. That means GM taking notes. That's, you know, all sorts of similar stuff. But I think I've rambled on plenty for the final thoughts. Not as much as I have. (laughs) I said for final thoughts. Oh, all right. My final thought is that modules, even if you hate it, it is not completely useless. It is actually still an asset because reduce, recycle, and reuse. Yes, the three R's of dodgeball, which is repetition, redundancy, and repetition. <laughs> oh, anyway, anyway, dip, duck, dodge, and dive. All right, anyway, however, one of the things I do really love about modules is they always include a shit ton of NPCs especially for the more politically aligned ones, and so on and so forth. So, uh, back in the 90s and early 2000s, I would do this from time to time. When I got my hands on a module, I'd flip through it, whether it was uh, Planescape or Athis or Alkadim or any of the other uh, settings they had. And nine times out of ten, I would look through it and be like, God, I don't want to ever play this module. Or that one out of time ten, I'd be like, God, I hope somebody else runs this. But regardless, um, that's when I started really getting the GMing uh, more full-time was after uh, 2005 or so. No, actually before that. God damn it, I'm getting ancient. Anyway, (laughs) one of the things I would do as part of my um, collection for GMing stuff, because GMs always need to have their own toolbox. Everybody does. And my toolbox included a shit ton of printouts Basically, I'd take the module, I'd run down the Kinkos, and just start photocopying uh, certain pages, and cut out the materials uh, for my own scrapbook, basically, that would fit. Nowadays, it's a lot easier with copy-paste and stuff and PDFs, but I would steal the NPCs out of the modules. So that way, when I was starting a new game, and I wanted to start my own setting with a village or whatever, I'd basically open my scrapbook and pull the scraps out that I wanted, and start building my town leadership from there because I had all of the stats of the character right there. Yeah. Like a... their alignment, their name, uh, sometimes a, a picture of that person. Yeah, I'd have it all right there. And it'd be like, 
Because most modules include things like town guards. Or captain of the guard. Captain of the guard. The governor. The, the local barista. Or maybe the local... Alchemist. Uh, alchemist or innkeeper or chef. Engineer. Engineer. Blacksmith. Yeah, so basically I had a scrapbook filled with townsfolk from cobblers to town guards. So... Even in these modern times, if you stumble across a module or you uh, know somebody's got a PDF of it or whatever, feel free to copy-paste the NPCs in the module, put them in your own scrapbook, so that way when you're doing your own world building, even the modules that you bought will get reused and you'll be able to just like swap names around and still have all the stat blocks right there ready to go. Pow! That's my final thought and a pro tip. To make modules continue working past their expiration date. Sugar! <laughs> Sit down, goblin. Oh, gods. I got him. I got him.